Professional wrestling is the one true sport. Other sports have their share of intense dramatic moments, but nothing can compare with professional wrestling. Welcome to Wrestling History X, where three friends come together to talk about the stories behind the matches. I'm Matt. You can call me The Worm. And I am Clay Shanier. Welcome to episode 246, Uncensored 1997. You'll You'll never never see it coming. Which is crazy. It's like you just told me to keep my eyes out for it. (laughs) Whatever it may be. What is it? It's it. Is it? Yeah, maybe it's Glacier. First time we've seen him. <laughs> or his opponent. <laughs> oh, yeah. Prince Ikea? Mm. Something's coming. Hopefully we see it. Yeah. Somebody's coming. So this is the third Uncensored, produced by WCW. It would take place on March 16th, 1997, from the North Charleston Coliseum in Charleston, South Carolina with an attendance of 9,285 people. Is this considered flair country? I mean, you'd think so. I mean, yeah, I guess I mean, it's... You're in the Carolinas. Carolinas. Just a little south of it. I mean, yeah, yeah. It's only yeah. about an hour and a half. North Carolina, you know, they're close. They're closer right on top yeah. of each other. I'm sure if you yelled out woo, you'd get oh, a, yeah, a yeah. roaring response. Absolutely. I just wasn't sure how technical flair country was. No, I just I think I'd, well, I'd, I'd say whole. I consider whole Carolinas. Carolinas, Virginia, Virginia, obviously Atlanta, Atlanta or Georgia. Georgia. Yeah, those. Those, that are little, big, those are the big ones. That of. little elbow there yeah. is is kind of the the I almost said Carolina country, flair yeah, country, flair country. In yeah. my eyes, I'd agree with that. So we are in Charleston, South yeah. Carolina. Yeah, we are. So Shane. Did you do what you do? I kind of think I did because I'm the only one that still has some left in front of me. So I'm going to say I did what I do. Oh, yeah. That was wonderful. Um, Yes. I got on the interwebs to uh, partake in this little culinary adventure around the globe that we've been doing for the last few years now. And here we are. Charleston, South Carolina. Been here before. I thought, what should I bring? What should I bring? Had Matt look up to see what I'd brought before because I couldn't remember because it's spread out so far apart from each other. And in the meantime, I just decided to do what I normally do and just look up what do people like to eat in South Carolina, what's the sandwich, all that stuff. And the first sandwich that popped up, it was a a barbecue one. I think we've already done. I might be wrong, though. Yeah, Um, mustard-based barbecue probably. Yes. Yeah, it's a carrot. Carolina vibes for sure. Um, but then it also said there is nothing more South Carolina than a fried bologna sandwich. It gave the basic description of white bread, a little mayonnaise or a little mustard, some yellow cheese, and fried bologna. Me being me, I, I had issues with bologna growing up. I shouldn't say I had issues with bologna growing up. I liked it too much growing up that once I hit a certain age, I never wanted to touch bologna again, ever, ever, ever. Yeah, burnt yourself out. I have issues with hot dogs for that same reason because you know, hot dog is just a, a, a rolled up bologna. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So I happened to find a recipe in Southern Living 
and it was done up a little bit more than just your basic bologna. It has toasted white bread. It called for a uh, a Creole mustard, but they don't sell Creole mustard at Walmart neighborhood market. So I found one that was a horseradish mustard. It has some zesty bread and butter pickles, thick sliced bologna that I fried up in a, a little skillet. Frying it up just kind of releases a lot of fat. It releases a little bit of the saltiness, brings out the flavor a little more than just your typical cold slice of bologna. Oh, yeah. Like after you've had fried bologna, you never want to eat a cold bologna sandwich again. No. It's, it's a pretty, Absolutely yeah, it's, it's such a no, huge once I Once I took a bite, I kind of remembered that you know, I really did like them and I young me would have freaked out if somebody had put this in front of me because it has all this stuff on it but I put a couple slices of just your basic American cheese a thick slice of tomato some shredded lettuce and yeah it's a it's a winner absolutely I mean Um, uh, I'm not mad about it I might have put a little bit too much mustard on there but is that really even a thing I'm a mustard guy so yeah yeah. (laughs) but I'm gonna do what I do and take this bite on the microphone. Let me pull this piece of cheese over here. Here we go. Ready, set, go. Hell yeah. Is that like a good bite? Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Uh, Tastes definitely like a good spot. bite. Well, something that would happen right around the same time as Uncensored, Howard Stern and his biopic, Private Parts, would hit the theater the week before. Baba Booey. <laughs> you know, I've only ever seen parts of this on only television. Only parts of private parts. Only parts. I've only seen, you know. It's only the public parts. And only the public parts of this <laughs> film. But, uh, you know, I was a huge connoisseur of Howard Stern on E! Uh, as I was, like, in middle school, early high school. And, you know, they did, uh, it was dirty and funny. You got your whack pack and then, like, playing... Uh, Throwing, honestly, one of uh, a memorable um, segment was uh, bringing prostitutes or strippers into the studio, and they'd uh, you know played a game where they threw baloney at their asses. <laughs> uh, perfect little so, tie yeah, in here. Yeah, it's a perfect little tie. But yeah, so I watched uh, that a lot. Um, I never listened to it on the radio. Never did the XM at all. But my Howard Stern consumption was mostly the E network at like eleven o'clock at night. Same. I definitely remember the Lord of the Anal Rings <laughs> episodes. I watched a little bit on E. <laughs> I remember when the movie came out uh, on video because I was working at Blockbuster, and it was a a huge, huge rental release. Yeah, I wasn't the the biggest Howard Stern fan, but he slowly grew on me over time. It may have just been because. The preview for the movie was constantly in the blockbuster trailers that we had to watch all day long, all day, every day. It's also one of those things like he's around long enough that like, even if you like hate him, it's like, well, he's gonna stick around. So I'll find nah. the things that about him that are charming. He's nope. not going anywhere. I don't. I don't believe in that method because <laughs> I grew up in a household where Rush Limbaugh was oh, okay. always on. It was like, nope, not even gonna find anything remotely nice. I mean, that's a little. Di- that's a little different. I mean, yeah. Howard Stern wasn't particularly. Um, uh, political back then he was just yeah. a shock he was just a shock shock he was just like crass for the sake he of being crass yeah. <laughs> yeah which is a little different but i never i mean i appreciate a shock jock for sure but i never like was i was never into any of the big ones while they were happening i miss 
Howard Stern, like Opie and Anthony. Like I've listened to like clips of theirs over the years, but there was never a guy that was like, oh, that's my guy, and I listened to him like regularly. But I've listened to you weren't a Bubba and Love Sponge guy. No, I didn't even know who he was until the Hogan thing. But man, and then once I found out he was a friend of Hogan's, I definitely didn't want to listen to him. <laughs> the uh, yeah, and like uh, what's the? There's a real good uh, movie. I think it might be more, you know, based on Imus, but uh, Don Imus, but um, with Jeff Bridges where he plays a shock jock and. Oh, what uh, the hell was The Fisher King. There we go. Yeah, Fisher King's real good, but that one's, you know, it's it's fictional, but obviously inspired by, like, Imus and Stern and whatnot, and it's a, you know, fantastical movie a little bit. I mean, it's Terry Gilliam, but, uh, yeah, I should watch uh, Private Parts. I mean, it's probably only 90 it. minutes. It's probably only 90 minutes. I'd probably have a good time. I mean, it's, it's fun just because, for the sheer fact that, like, Howard plays himself as a younger guy. Yeah, as a younger guy, yeah. and it's so like it's, Weird Al in a way. Yeah, it, it, it does kind of come <laughs> off as very Weird Al esque. Yeah, I've, I've, in my head, the movie like, is making that, fun of it, making fun of himself while still like telling his story. Still like, telling uh, the story. Yeah, yeah. I'll have to. Yeah, I'll have to give it a shot. Like I said, I've only ever caught parts of it like on cable back in the day, so I don't even know how if the movie's very salacious. Like, you know, I don't know if there's lots of breasts or nudity uh, no, or anything like that. A, there's not a whole lot of that. But it's, yeah, I guess it's, you know, it's mostly pretty, his, it's like, his, up. like... I think it's PG-13. Yeah, kind of his just, like, you know, rise to, like, being a household name, I said, I assume. Not the one where he was such a household name that he could get away with anything. Yeah. Yeah. This is pre-Girls uh, on Sibians in the, in, in the studio. I do remember him being the first... Like male celebrity that I can recall talking about their disappointment in their junk. Oh, because he was always like talking about how small he is, or yeah. I don't know. He he he's got the energy of a guy that probably just has a, a home. I mean, but he could you know. just be one of those young small dogs that makes <laughs> the, the a lot of noise. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean he has no reason to <laughs> lie, but of course you know. Nobody wants to hear him talk about if he's, you know, no. this shop Oh, you're this rich shop and you have a guy. career and you have a hot wife. <laughs> yeah, you know? yeah. No, if he, even if he has a big dick, it's more, it's uh, yeah. better for him career-wise career to, to, to say the opposite. Tommy, and, you Lee, know, Tommy Lee had the market already on, you know, big yeah. dick celebrities, so mm-hmm. I guess Howard Stern had to take the, the shocking alternative. Whether it's true or not, he's got to say that he, does, oh, yeah. he has a small penis. I forgot on the sandwich, there's also dill pickle chips. Oh, yeah. I got, it was a nice, nice added crunch. But enough about Howard Stern's penis. Yes. No more Howard Stern's baloney. Yeah. Maybe it's just in my head, but I assume a guy with a large nose also has a large penis. <laughs> There's no no reason to assume that. Yeah, I've I've never heard that. Yeah, I don't. I mean, I yeah, I haven't done the research. Line up but. there. I've heard the you know, the from the end of your thumb to your index finger. But then people also do that when they're talking about a big nose too. So who yeah, knows? yeah. Uh, yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna consult Reddit later. <laughs> well, also, guys, Merry Christmas, hey. Happy Holidays, perfect hey. segue, yeah. wonderful. Yeah, <laughs> totally. <laughs> Just unwrap those presents, guys. Yeah, right. yeah don't forget uh, Happy uh, Hanukkah for yes. um, for Howard Stern. May your stockings be filled yeah. with much baloney. <laughs> Damn. <laughs> Well, let's talk some uncensored. Let's, let's do it. Let's get yeah. uncensored. I mean, again, <laughs> kind of already really, have been. Yeah, it's really all 
kind of lined up here with Howard Stern and the show being called the Sense. <laughs> the logo comes on the screen before the narrator starts listing the batches for the night, with one of them saying that Prince Iakea is the cruiserweight champion, but he's actually the television champion. And the reading of this narration isn't done live, so they could have edited it. Totally could have, but somebody would have yeah, had yeah. attention. It's WCW. So. And it also could have been done like before the tape was produced, so it could have just be like added to like the home video release, but probably not. I mean, I think it was part on of the, the show, yeah. Yeah, because yeah. yeah, I'm trying to remember if he ever becomes Cruiserweight Champion. <laughs> So Tony Schiavone welcomes us to the show, joined by Dusty Rhodes and Bobby the Brain Heenan. And they discuss the stakes of the main event, with Dusty saying the NWO has a lot to lose. While the Brain says that they have their backs against the wall. By the way, Dennis Rodman is in the building. They let us know before the first match. I just want everybody at home to know that... He's here. Yeah, yeah. The worm has turned. Oh, the glory days of Dennis and Rodman. Bischoff is suspended at the moment. And we'll talk more about that later. Absolutely. As well. Yeah, just, you know, they set it off the top, so I want to make sure everybody's informed. So we go to our first match Dean Malenko versus Eddie Guerrero in a no DQ match for the WCW United States Heavyweight Championship. Also, like to welcome back Randy Anderson. Hey, hey, Pee Wee who had been reinstated by Turner Sports President Harvey Schiller, who also did some other things since our last WCW show. That goes along with the Bischoff stuff, which we'll talk about later. And the two men exchange aggressive holds, takedowns, punches, slaps, and stomps to begin until Malenko nails a vertical suplex and a back suplex. Dean locks on a half-crab as we are sent backstage to see Rick Steiner has been laid out, with the outsiders and six hanging about, wondering what happened to him. Hmm. Who could it have been? Hmm. He never saw it coming. Back to the match, Malenko tosses Eddie over the ropes to the floor and grabs the title belt, smashing it across Guerrero's back once they returned inside the squared circle. Dean with multiple clotheslines, only for Eddie to duck and deliver a urinagi followed by a dropkick to the knee. And Guerrero continues to work the leg with axe handles and a slingshot somersault senton before applying an STF. We then go to split screen to see Steiner being put on a stretcher with the NWO continuing to look on, with Tony saying that it looks like Rick is out of our main event. I mean, if I was them, I would have just left completely. You don't stick around at the scene of the crime. Yeah, old Scott Hall back there. Can't remember what all he was saying yeah. exactly, but he, he's a troublemaker. Yeah. He had it coming. I mean, yeah, these guys, they're too big for their britches. <clears throat> I don't know what happened, man. So back to the action where the fight has made it to the floor with Malenko being run into several guardrails before Eddie dropkicks the knee into a ring post. Post, in the ring, Guerrero locks on a figure four, blatantly using the ropes as he shouts out he is going to break Dean's leg. Eddie's starting to cheat. Malenko thumbs the eyes of Eddie to break the hold, but Guerrero fires right back with European uppercuts and a hip attack, followed by another slingshot somersault senton from the apron, 
which Dean avoids by rolling out to the floor, only for Eddie to hit a baseball slide to send Malenko crashing into the guardrail. Grell rolls back in to fly out with a top rope crossbody, but again Dean avoids, sending Eddie crashing into the steel, before Malenko press slams him onto the guardrail once more. And they return to the ring, where Dean works at Fujiwara Armbar, only for Guerrero to escape and nail a tilt-a-whirl backbreaker, followed by a powerbomb with a bridge for a two-count. Malenko reverses a whip and goes for a tilt-a-whirl himself, but Eddie blocks, only for Dean to go low to counter, followed by knocking Guerrero down, which sends Eddie's boot into Malenko's 1,001st hold, allowing Guerrero to roll him up for a near fall. Now once back to their feet, Eddie charges in with Dean catching him with a power slam before heading up top for a frog splash for a two count as Malenko lifts him off the mat. Ooh, love it. Guerrero counters a power bomb with the head scissors but then runs into another power slam for a near fall. And the two trade pin attempts when Eddie runs the ropes and leaps into a wheelbarrow roll only for Dean to counter it into a release German suplex for a two-count. And Malenko charges at Guerrero in a corner, but Eddie gets a knee up before delivering a tornado DDT and then applying the Texas Cloverleaf. When all of a sudden, Six would come down to ringside with his camcorder in hand to steal the United States belt, forcing Guerrero to release the hold and grab the kid by the hair. And Six tries to hit Eddie with the camcorder as they both tug at the title, but the kid misses, and the camera lands in the ring, allowing Dean to pick it up and smash Guerrero over the head with it for the pin and the win. And new! Hmm. Never saw it coming. I know. What's it going to do? It's just going to, you know, make Eddie feel even more slighted. I mean, it's no DQ match though, so wouldn't it? Yeah, yeah, it's yeah, uncensored. Yeah, Durr. and I could see you know doing some dirty stuff, but the camera, yeah. the camera's a little much. You gotta, you gotta roll with the punches, man. You gotta use what's given to you in this sense. I do love that uh, Dean like looks at it, just like, oh, yeah, I didn't realize, I didn't even realize what I hit him with. <laughs> <laughs> We got Mean Gene Okerlund in the back, shilling the hotline, saying someone is history from the WCW. Call now to find out who it is. And see, I sat there while watching this show trying to think of who debuted around this time. I can't remember. I can't remember. I know. Yeah. Who knows? We'll have to just pay attention in the future. Yep. Gene then welcomes in Roddy Piper, who asks if Okerlund is ribbing him. That he can't believe he has to beat all these men to get Hogan in a cage. Before also accusing Dennis Rodman of trying to get into his kilt. And Roddy starts complaining that he got the Horseman B team instead of Flair and Arn. <laughs> that he doesn't even know what a Horseman even is as Benoit, Jarrett, and Mongo arrive. And Piper continues to make fun of them until Double J says the Horsemen are unified tonight. But Roddy's skeptical before McMichael calls out Luger for dropping the ball at Fall Brawl. Piper then questions the Crippler, thinking he's too cold, that he needs some razzmatazz 
only for Benoit to tell Ronnie that he made the right choice in choosing the horseman, which seems to convince Piper. Yeah, I mean, this is great Piper promo. It felt like a Survivor Series promo from you know one of the the teams of four. Just yeah, I mean, I've seen just a little bit better. Cause we've seen Piper do him a couple times yeah. already in the yeah. past, so that's that's what it felt like to me. The vibe of it all just. Benoit standing there with a cheesy smile on his face at times, but being called too cold. Yeah, and it's like some yeah, it's just funny because like I don't know about you guys, and then Benoit just gives him like one compliment, and he's like, you know what, you guys are all right. <laughs> and I mean, the kilt line is pretty great. He's like, Robin wants to try on my kilt. Problem is, he wants me in it, and it's just like, it, yeah, it's so uh, simple and smart, and it's yeah, there's a reason that. Roddy's one of the best to do it, because it doesn't even have to make sense. It's a, it's a vibe. Mm-hmm. So we go to our second match. Psychosis versus Ultimo Dragon with Sonny Ono. And Mike today joins the commentary table for this one, as we get a feeling out process to start, until Ultimo hits a combo of kicks and starts working the leg, when Psychosis fires up with a drop kick for a two count. And Dragon responds with an Inseguri before locking on a camel clutch, only for Psychosis to reverse it into one of his own, followed by a top rope leg drop for a near fall and a second rope elbow drop for a two count. Ultimo then nails a tilt-a-whirl backbreaker and applies a sleeper, which Psychosis uses a jawbreaker to escape and goes for a sleeper of his own, but Dragon counters into a back suplex. Ultimo charges into a big boot, allowing Psychosis to leap off the top rope with a spinning heel kick that sends Dragon out to the floor. So Psychosis then flies out with a tope con heel, followed by a slingshot leg drop as well. Ultimo makes his way back to the apron, where Psychosis clotheslines him down, but then charges in, only to be launched by Dragon's feet onto the floor. This, uh, that... Leg drop to the floor was a, such a scary landing. I thought Psychosis would be almost like just snapped his ankle in half. Ultimo runs Psychosis into a guardrail, followed by a handspring back elbow and an ACI moonsault, before Ono comes over to get a few kicks in as well. Now back in the ring, Dragon with a top rope moonsault for a near fall, but then telegraphs a back body drop. So Psychosis goes for a powerbomb, which is countered into a Huracarana for a two count. And Ultimo continues with a La Magistral Cradle for a near fall, before placing Psychosis on a turnbuckle, with Dragon looking to hit a Super Frankensteiner. But Psychosis wants to counter it into a Superplex, only for Ultimo to fight in mid-air to cause both men to faceplant on the mat. This is the kind of like match that has... like almost the right amount of slop to it mm-hmm. it's like at the beginning they do some like catch stuff that's a little sloppy but then it's the kind of sloppy that after that that kind of makes it feel like a real fight yeah i was thinking similar to that because ultimo usually is spot on on everything to where it just looks too picture perfect at times to where how are you even a real person yeah yeah this it, adds like, that that little sprinkle of reality to it of yeah and then, like i mean i don't I mean, I feel like we've seen Psychosis and Ultimo Dragon wrestle before. 
We've seen, but, you know, Ultimo and Ray, and we've seen yeah. Ray and Psychosis, but I don't remember if we've yeah. seen Ultimo and Psychosis. I think we've seen these two. Yeah, they just if we have, have it might have been on some Nitro, and it was probably like a five-minute match. Yeah, yeah, they probably just haven't spent as much time in the ring with each other. We both know they can go. Yes. <laughs> they both attempt spinning hill kicks to no avail, but Dragon's up first to body slam Psychosis and head up top. Only for Psychosis to meet him there to nail a Huracarana for a two-count which Ultimo then rolls through for a near fall as well. Psychosis then leaps onto Dragon's shoulders for another Rana, but Ultimo counters it into a running Liger Bomb, followed by a Tornado DDT and a Tiger Suplex for the pin and And the the win. So we go to Mean Gene in the aisle, and he promises uncensored material on the hotline before welcoming Diamond Dallas Page. And Gene says that Savage won't acknowledge DDP before asking if he is subbing for Rick Steiner in the main event. Only for Paige to just ignore the question because he's ticked that Macho Man has ignored his challenge. Telling him, if you're that much of a Savage, snap into this. Bang! Oh, snap. Snap into this. I mean, you know, the, the diamond cutter, like, bang thing. It's so s- silly, but it's perfect. like it's perfect. Like Diamond <laughs> Dallas Page, he sells. He does the right thing, mm-hmm. and it's like we're this is years before we get the too sweet. I feel like is not over like spammed or anything at this point. You know, I feel like it's kind of a later thing where people start doing it and whatnot. But this is early into the bang. You know, anybody can do a middle finger, but we haven't got to the. Suck it yet, and I feel like as a kid, the diamond cutter bang and then the suck it were the big things. I don't remember ever doing like too sweet in like mm-hmm. middle school. No, I think it was a reclamation project. Macho Man then interrupts from the announce table, apologizing that he misjudged DDP, saying that he found an issue of Playboy at the airport, which included Paige's wife Kimberly, as Miss Elizabeth turns it around. To show us all how they defaced the centerfold. I mean, you know, might be on pay-per-view, but you're going to get some complaints if you showed it all. Kimberly then emerges from the back with spray paint all over her dress, forcing DDP to check on her and allowing Savage to attack him. And Macho spray paints Paige's back, mocking him until Kim tries to stop him, only for them to paint her again as Mean Gene complains that everyone is just standing around and letting this happen. I mean, uh, personal issues, uh, you know, draw money. Yep. Uh, and this is also done pretty upsetting, where they like are teasing Diamond Alice Page for a minute, and then Kimberly comes out, so it's like they already like terrorized her, and like she's been back there and like is coming out now, like crying and looking for him, so it's like... Pretty effective and upsetting, even though we know that it's a planned television angle. So we don't know what they did to her, but yeah, the fact that it happened off screen makes it that much more upsetting. If we saw them like spray paint her in the back or like, you know, terrorize her, it's like theater of the mind makes it creepier and more upsetting. So WCW got the first woman in wrestling in Playboy, huh? Uh, yeah. I didn't realize this. But she was also she was she was already a fitness model. Yeah. So like, 
She wasn't, I don't think she got in because she wasn't on the level of of Sable and she China, didn't get in because she was a W WCW. part of WCW. She got in because she, she's she, she looked hot. good. Yeah, yeah, she's yeah, she's a, a fitness model and they paid well. Whereas like with the WWF Attitude Era, yeah. you know, they were probably leveraging for somebody to do it because they wanted Sunny to do it originally first, and she chose not to. Boy, how life may have been different for her had she gone for it. Who knows? I mean, who knows? She just would have had more money for drugs. Yeah, I mean, you know. Uh, I'd say best of luck to her, but she kind of took it too far when she killed somebody. Oh, yeah. Say, if <laughs> so, anything, it would have just put her behind a different wheel at a different time. Yeah, who knows? So we go to our third match. Mortis with James Vandenberg versus Glacier in a martial arts match. Mortal Kombat! <laughs> So the story behind this match was that Glacier had been on a winning streak when Vandenberg would arrive, calling himself a collector of oddities. So he found a pit fighter from Malaysia who had a past with Glacier. And this all played out on WCW Saturday Night. Oh, yeah. So literally, (laughs) no one saw it. Yeah. And the people that did see it probably... Feel like, don't remember it because they were nine. Yeah, or they just are the, yeah, they're kids that who's like probably just you know stayed up late and watched wrestling and probably didn't have pay per view money. Mm-mm. So we haven't seen Mortis since World War Three, ninety five, episode one hundred and seventy three, as Chris Canyon. Oh, I didn't. I should have known that he's Chris Canyon. Yeah, there's no one better. And Vandenberg will be better known as the Sinister Minister when he gets to ECW. While this is also our first Glacier match (laughs) that we've seen, even though we saw the ads for him all the way back in early April of 96. Yeah, and I'm trying to think. It's like they're definitely doing Mortal Kombat here, like 110%. But it's just funny. It's like, okay, well, I guess Mortal Kombat just stays hot because, like, Mortal Kombat 3 is 95 and there's like the trilogy game, but they just keep crapping out. But Mortal Kombat Four is '97. I don't know if it's out. And of you had game. Mortal Kombat movies as well around this time. Yeah, the first movie I think might be '96. But yeah, oh gosh, they made too many Mortal Kombat. First movie's '95, I guess. Yeah. So yeah, it's definitely it on video tape. Another one in '97 or something like that. Plus you had Street Fighter Two or something. Yeah, it was like Street that. Fighter with Jean Claude Van Damme. But uh, yeah. First Mortal Kombat movie, pretty sick. Mm-hmm. Second one, not so nope. sick. Nope. So our two competitors trade kicks when Mortis spits at Glacier. So the cold one nails a hip toss, more kicks, and a back body drop. Mortis retaliates with right hands and kicks of his own, but Glacier comes right back with more strikes and a whip to the ropes, trying for a clothesline, only for Mortis to duck and slide out to the apron to gloat. Now Glacier just kicks him off into the guardrail and flies out of the ring with a slingshot biscotto before also delivering a vertical suplex. And Glacier rolls Mortis in and makes a cover, only for Vandenberg to pull him off. So the cold one begins to stalk around the ring after James, only for Mortis to drill him with a baseball slide to take control. And I do love that they picked like one of the major bad guys in Mortal Kombat. They're like, they just made him Shao Kahn. And it's like, oh, well, everybody loves Sub-Zero. Mortis would ram Glacier into a guardrail, followed by dropping him headfirst onto the apron, before returning to the ring with a slingshot lariat. 
Mortis with a rocker dropper for a two count. Tries for another, but Glacier counters it into a powerball. Damn, Marty couldn't even get the Giga Mortis, huh? <laughs> I don't think he's big enough. <laughs> Cold one continues with some strikes, a tilt-a-whirl slam, and a front kick for a deer fall. But runs into a roundhouse kick from Mortis for a two count. And Mortis heads up top, only for Glacier to fall into the ropes, causing him to crotch himself and allowing the Cold One to climb up and nail a superplex for a near fall. And Glacier leaps off the top rope with a single sledge, but he gets caught by Mortis for a Northern Light suplex for a two count. The Cold One hits a jawbreaker before heading up top again, missing another single sledge as Mortis moves, rolling to the other corner to leap up and off with a crossbody for a near fall. And Glacier goes for the cryonic kick, only for Mortis to pull the ref into the way. But the Cold One has self-control. And doesn't knock the ref out. It's nice to see that because as soon as somebody pulls the ref in the way, you like would just think that there's going to be a ref bump. Sometimes it's nice when a guy has the foresight or actually stops short because they can't can't always can't always happen. Glacier then yanks the ref out of the way, only to turn right into a super kick from Mortis for a two count. And Vandenberg jumps on the apron, holding Glacier. But the cold one avoids and delivers the cryonic kick for the pin. And And the win. And Glacier is still undefeated. I actually enjoyed that this match way more than I expected. And I thought that Mortis might win. Like, ref bump doesn't happen, he moves him, hits the kick, and it was a two count. I thought maybe he would pin him. They gave both guys like big entrances, and one of these guys I haven't seen before, one of them is undefeated. Mortis could have, I mean, I don't know, gotten over, but it would have been a big rub for him to, a big rub in relation to what this actually is, if he pinned him. And uh, I get it, neither man has any charisma, so they put him in a fucking mask or whatever, but I think in ring it was much better than sillier than silly gimmicks we've seen. Post-match, James distracts Glacier while Mortis grabs his doll head on a stick to clock the cold one from behind. Put the heat on him. Vandenberg then turns and starts calling out someone from the back. And it's another guy in Mortal Kombat looking gear. Now wearing, we've gone too far. Wearing a helmet. But he takes it off. And it's... <gasps> No one knows his name. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, shit. <laughs> Guys, I don't know who it is. But I, I can tell you that it's the former Adam Bomb, who we haven't seen since In Your House 1, episode 151. Oh, wow. Damn, it's been a while. Yeah, In Your House 1. We're out of like In Your House 13 or something. Mm-hmm. And the mystery man climbs in the ring to team with Mortis to beat down Glacier before hitting a Uranagi. Say those special words to me. This is the last time. No. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see. Maybe this character. Of, of Glacier, no. Oh, of Glacier. Oh, oh, I forgot until I watched this match. House. I mean, I'm glad you enjoyed the match because the match was made for people to enjoy. But yeah. I remember being younger when this was on. I mean, I say younger. I was 19, almost yeah. 20 years old. But just watching him do his little martial yeah. arts stuff in the ring where he's you know doing his karate chops and 
going through the motions and everything because he's this Mr. Martial Arts and it was just corny, cheesy. I, yeah, I'm not game. saying that this is like great or whatever. I'm just saying that like my expectations were so low. And I think that this was that it wasn't disappointing. That it wasn't disappointing. Like <laughs> and like some of the like logic was like nice. And then they. I mean, the thing they, is, like, Chris Canyon's a good wrestler. Yeah, yeah. So and they jumped the shark when the next guy came out, and when Adam Bomb came out, it's like we didn't need that. Yeah. I was ready for Glacier Mortis too. Don't spew all of your wrath. Yes. Save. <laughs> Save some of it. <laughs> I'll hold on some Yeah. Because it, we'll definitely see him again. It definitely yeah. went from, you know, just your average Street Fighter thing to Big Trouble Little China. Mm. You know, let the lights flicker and here comes somebody else. Yeah. Tony then sends us to footage of the Outsiders causing the Steiners to have a car crash. Yeah, just a little bit. And we see Six is filming the carnage on his camcorder as they bump their cars before pulling up next to them. And Scott is throwing trash at the Outsiders while Rick yells at them with the NWO swerves causing the Steiners to flip over a ditch. It's fucking wild, and it's a really good edit. And I couldn't believe when the car flipped. I was like, oh yeah, they'll run them into like a hay bale or something. Like some yeah, Dukes exactly. of Hazard shit. But no. no. The car fucking flips. <laughs> yeah. And it, like I said, the edit is great. It's like, it's, mm-hmm. it's pretty pretty impressive little segment, but it's pretty fucked up, and I did not expect it to look that good. Cause I mean, this is the same this is the same show where on the first uncensored we got the uh, wrestle in the back of an eighteen wheeler match yeah, and get fired for bleeding. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh shit. I'm gonna put you in this. Shitty situation here, mm-hmm. but because you made yourself bleed, fired. Yeah, it's like we're fighting an 18-wheeler. What is the chances that I don't, like, hit something weird and start bleeding? Go up north and make some money, you stupid, sad <laughs> son of a bitch. <laughs> so we go to our fourth match. Buff Bagwell versus Scotty Riggs in a strap match. Woo! Because everyone knows that's what this feud needed exactly yeah everyone knows that this feud needed to continue mm-hmm. and bagwell says during his entrance that he doesn't care if he wins he just wants to beat up scotty well glad we care yeah yeah so riggs runs down to the ring sending buff scurrying out to the floor but once he returns the ref gets both men hooked up only for scotty to just start whipping away again sending bagwell out to the floor Back in, buff with strikes, clotheslines, and choking with a strap before hitting a body slam and heading up top. Only for Riggs to yank on the strap, causing Bagwell to fall and crotch himself, followed by Scotty nailing a superplex. More strap shots by Riggs, sending buff trying to regroup on the floor, only for Scotty to follow out and pull Bagwell into a ring post. Post it. Back inside, the two take turns choking each other before Buff's stuff gets a strap yanked into it. <laughs> Followed by a drop kick, allowing Riggs to pull him around the ring for one, two, only for Bagwell to hold onto the ropes to stop the count. Scotty then hits a ten count of mounted punches, but Buff hot shots Riggs onto the top turnbuckle before going back to whipping him with the strap. Ouch. 
Now Bagwell starts to make his way around the ring, dragging Scotty by the throat to get two corners. But Ring slows the momentum, only for Buff to fire back with an atomic drop and a strap-aided clothesline. And Bagwell treats Scotty like a puppet to do the American males overhead head clapping. But Riggs mule kicks to escape, only for Buff to respond with a double axe handle and chokes before going for a pin, which the ref reminds him, that's not how you win. No. And Bagwell shoves Randy Anderson, but the ref just stands up for himself, shoving Buff right back. Randy Anderson, most over guy in this match. Bagwell returns to his attack on Scotty with a body slam and attempts a blockbuster. But Riggs ducks and gets a big boot up on the charging Bagwell before nailing multiple clotheslines. Scotty whips away in frustration, delivers a powerbomb, and heads up top for a missile dropkick before making his way to one, two, three corners. He reaches out for the fourth. The buff hooks the ropes to stop the count. Riggs charges at Bagwell, only to be back body dropped over the ropes, allowing Buff to hang him with the strap. Uh-oh. And when he flies out, his back he just hits the corner of that apron, and I was like, oh, yeah. It's the hardest part of the ring, you know. I know. Especially that edge. <laughs> Scotty ends up passing out, <clears throat> allowing Bagwell to make his way around the ring, tapping all four corners for the win. Oh, don't forget that Bagwell hits the last buck with his ass. Does it even count as a win? <laughs> At least it was different. It was a little different, and it wasn't too long. Yeah. The strap stayed on. Mm-hmm. One thing I did notice was 47 minutes into this show is when the second match ended. So, like, first two matches were pretty long, and, of course, they're doing a little bit more um, promo for... For a pay-per-view show, there's yep. a little bit more promo involved. This was the this was the short match on our show, and I won't complain about that. Mm-mm. Hogan, Savage, and the Outsiders are hanging out in the back. And they're bragging about their jet and Dennis Rodman, while Macho continues to look at Kimberly's Playboy before saying he has an itch in his belt. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I do love, yeah... Like, Hogan says that Rodman taught him some new tricks, which, like, they're talking about, like, sex stuff, and it just sounds like creepy, like, old men at like in, like, a garage filled with, like, snap-on tools posters of girls with, like, large wrenches and stuff, and it's like, oh, these guys are just making up stupid lies. It's, yeah, they just sound like the 40-year-old virgin, like a line that C-Pro would have in the 40-year-old virgin. He's like, yeah, you taught me some new tricks, man. It's like, gross. <laughs> Why are you guys talking about that stuff? Uh, Hogan 15 years from then is going to have a real issue with Hogan in 97, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> Nash says that they aren't mad at Piper's crew, but they will beat them up bad. While Hall starts talking about skirts, asking what Dennis is wearing tonight. Will it be a wedding dress? with Savage wanting to know if it will be a miracle bra before they all joke about Kimberly's assets. I mean, NWO standard fare. Yep. Yep. So we go to our fifth match. Harlem Heat, a Booker T and Stevie Ray with Sister Sherry versus Public Enemy of Rocco Rock and Johnny Grunge in a Texas Tornado match. No tag... 
garbage. So this was actually supposed to be Mongo and Jarrett instead of Harlem Heat, but they got upgraded to the main event. I mean, I would much rather see Heat. I know we've seen Heat in Public Enemy a million times, but Jarrett and Mongo doing trash stuff with Public Enemy sounds like a way, way worse than Harlem Heat doing it. Because we know they can at least do it. I don't know that Mongo can do it. And Jarrett's not the kind of guy I want to see with anything. I don't even want to see the guitar necessarily. So both teams, including Sherry, just start going after each other with trash cans, lids, frying pans, and toilet seats. Plunder, baby. Making me check to see if we were back in Philly. But we're we're in Charleston. Yeah, we're in Charleston. It's plundering time. Booker with a scissor kick for a two count on Johnny while Stevie throws Rock into the still steps. Grunge retaliates with a swinging neckbreaker and starts to dance, only for Stevie Ray to smash a lid over his head, followed by Rocky using a metal sheet across Stevie's head. And Booker's knocked loopy by a trash can shot from Johnny, with Rhodes yelling, He knocked his old tired ass out! (laughs) I mean, Dusty gets such a kick out of this that he's like earnestly laughing and it turns the commentary t- table into just like a laugh riot i'm gonna tell you right now <laughs> dusty's the only reason why this match is tolerable yeah because he gets such a kick out of it that everybody else can't help but like they just it's just like you know at like a slumber party where somebody does something stupid or it's a well-timed fart and everybody just like falls into tears but it's the commentary table doing it and sometimes Dusty can be a little overbearing on commentary, but here he just brought the charm and was cute to see these guys just kind of have a good time watching something that they didn't care about. Ain't nobody better, baby. <laughs> Canyon. That was, Canyon. That was his uh, 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 like catchphrase. Yeah. No one's better than Canyon. Baby. Sherry uses a trash can to hit grunge But she gets Stevie as well Causing both of them to stumble backwards As Rock makes a cover in the ring After choking with a toilet lid And Sherry jumps on Johnny's back to slow him down When Rocco makes his way out to throw Stevie Ray into the front row But Booker T comes flying off the apron With a double axe handle Everybody's brawling on the floor When Public Enemy places a trash can over Booker's head and starts to punch it, with Dusty saying he used to do that to his little brother. (laughs) And Booker T fights back with a hook kick, when Sherry hits Rock with a cookie sheet, causing Rhodes to scream out, She knocked the hair off his head! (laughs) And Booker rolls Rocco back in the ring, before leaping in with a double axe handle. But Rock catches him in the gut, followed by a pizza pan over the head for a near fall. And Rocco goes for a rope walk axe handle, but Booker T kicks the ropes, causing Rock to crotch himself and fall out to the floor. Everybody begins brawling away until Booker brings Grunge back in for a pin, only for Rocco to hit him over the head with a cookie sheet to break it up. But Stevie Ray retaliates with cookie sheet shots of his own when Rock responds with a low blow that gets Dusty howling once again. And the crowd starts chanting for tables, which there just so happens to be one set up at ringside, where everyone makes their way to the floor to brawl some more until they're able to lay out Johnny. And Harlem Heat rolls Rocco into the ring with Booker headed up top for a rocket launcher for a near fall, 
followed by Booker T missing a leg lariat, causing him to crotch himself on the ropes. And Rock clotheslines him down to the floor, while Sherry jumps on Johnny's back, only for him to ram her into the guardrail to escape. Grunge then places Stevie on the table, with Johnny climbing to the apron, when Rocco leaps over the ropes with a senton onto Grunge to land them on top of Stevie Ray and through the table. And it's one of the most, the cleanest and most intense table breaks I think we've seen. Also, I noticed that this table had tape across it, and I think it was like heavily gimmicked. Like it was like, the wood was like thinner and probably scored, and like with all that weight going through it, it just fucking blistered. Probably after the uh, Benball Taskmaster incident from and the last he, show, they were yeah. like, very good point. Yeah. It's got to break. We got to make sure these tables break. Yeah. And I mean, yeah, it's like, well, with those three guys, probably would have broke any table. But, you know, there was a really great moment a little bit before this where um, I believe it was, it was either Rocco or Grunge. They uh, duck a trash can shot from, or a cookie sheet shot or whatever from Sherry, and she accidentally hits uh, Stevie Ray. But Stevie Ray like the large boss that he is just like she's like oh no i'm sorry i'm sorry and he's like don't even worry about it <laughs> and just like yeah and it's like oh that's pretty great it makes him look like a badass and he's like yeah it's fine like i know it was an accident and just like bend your head down yeah. like, do it again yeah it was almost like refreshing to see because a lot of the time it's like oh that would lead to dissension that might you know cause him to lose the match later but steve ray was like fuck it baby it's all right rock makes his way back into the ring to fight with booker when the horsemen arrive at ringside. Hmm? And as Rocco climbs to the top turnbuckle, Mongo jumps in the ring and smashes the briefcase across his back, allowing Booker T to climb up and deliver the Harlem hangover for the pin and, and the win. win. I wasn't expecting the horsemen, but I guess I should have. I mean, yeah. once you found out that they were supposed to be in the match, yeah. it makes sense. Yeah. I mean, Mongo and Jared have been playing around in the tag team. Yeah. So it checks out, but. We go to the back. Mean Gene's there with Team WCW. And Scott Steiner says he's never seen Rick taken out in an ambulance, but knows he'll return before saying this gives him an incentive to beat the NWO to a pulp. The Giant then promises to do some spring cleaning, saying the NWO will be dizzy with all the suplexes. That the Steiners do. Followed that he's going to be choke slamming left and right. And Luger's sick of the lack of respect for authority, society, and tradition by the NWO. Before saying the adversity makes his team stronger. But the time for words is done. It's time for action. It's kind of a nice little team. We're missing a Steiner, but the Steiners with Lex and the Giant... I don't hate it, as far as, you know, representing WCW. So we go to our sixth match. Ray Mysterio Jr. versus Prince Ikea for the WCW World Cruiserweight Championship. I mean, Television Championship. <laughs> Mike today joins the commentators for this match. Because, you know. Somebody's got to talk about these it's what Cruiserweights. He does. Yeah, it's because Ray's in it, not because Prince Ikea is. <laughs> And we get some back-and-forth action until the Prince nails a Samoan drop and a springboard splash, 
only for Mysterio to get his knees up. And Ray hot shots IK across the top rope and delivers a springboard somersault senton. As Tanay explains that normally matches for this belt are have a 10 minute time limit, but it's been upped to 15 for the pay-per-view. Yeah, normally they're working within the confines of television, but here they've got more time. And the Prince gathers Mysterio into a razor's edge type position, going for the Splash Mountain, but Ray counters it into a Hurricanrana for a two count, followed by a tilt-a-whirl head scissors that sends Ayakea out to the floor, where Mysterio wipes him out with a slingshot somersault plancha. Back in the ring, Ray goes for a rocker dropper, but the Prince counters it into a slingshot powerbomb, followed by a baseball slide to send Mysterio out to the floor. Ayake with a springboard plancha out onto Ray, tosses him into a guardrail, but then tries to leap off the steel with a crossbody, only for Mysterio to avoid and roll the Prince back in to hit a springboard split-legged moonsault for a near fall. A splash in a corner by Ray, followed by a bulldog for a two-count, before locking on a head scissors to wear down Ayakea. And Mysterio continues the attack with a pobrada for a near fall, followed by a sunset flip powerbomb for a two-count and a dropkick. Ray then heads up top for a senton, only for the prince to move and take over with a flash leg drop and a northern light suplex for a near fall. They start running the ropes when Mysterio goes for a rana, but Ayaka catches him and dumps him with a powerbomb for a near fall. And the prince goes out to the apron to springboard back in with a dropkick, but Ray meets him in midair with a dropkick. Love to see it. Also, the crowd's not into this, but I think this is pretty good. IK has gotten noticeably better, and you even get a boring chant here. It is what it is. A headbutt to the gut from Ikea, sending Mysterio out to the floor, following out with a double axe handle. Now back in the ring, the Prince is in control with another flash leg drop until they start running the ropes, when both men would go for drop kicks that lets everyone know that they love the acclaimed. <laughs> they scissor their legs. Ray with the head scissors takedown, leaps onto Ayakea's shoulders for a victory roll that gets a near fall, when the Prince would roll back on top for a two count. They then fight over a waist lock with Ayakea rolling up Mysterio for a near fall, before whipping to a corner where Ray leaps up and off with a corkscrew moonsault for the pin. And no, the bell rings because the time limit is up. Mysterio asks for the mic to ask the prince for more time, with Ayakea granting it, so the ref restarts the match. And the two men shake hands, followed by Ray nailing some chops, a hip toss, and a springboard gabinguri, before heading to the apron to leap back in with a springboard leg drop for a near fall. Mysterio's whip is reversed, but he avoids the prince's charge into a corner setting him up on the top turnbuckle and delivering a head scissors. Ray then leaps in from the apron with a springboard hurricanrana, but Ayakea rolls through for the pin and the win. And the match still didn't go 15 minutes. <laughs> nope. That's what I was expecting it to. Which is funny too. Have I a draw. Like, I was like, oh, it's also a bit long and it didn't even go 15 minutes and I think that I don't think it was bad Mm -mm. 
No. It just felt like it drug on just yeah, it's a like, bit too long. Yeah, and it's like I understand what they're doing here with like Ray being like, yeah, this guy's this is a guy. And then losing, it's like, whoa, they're, they put a belt on Iakea, but, like, nobody really cares yet. Mm. And he is not terrible, and he's not embarrassing himself by any means. It's just, just because you tell me that he's good doesn't mean I, uh, you know, doesn't mean I have to cheer for him, kind mm. of thing. Tony then sends us to a commercial for Spring Stampede, where we see the four horsemen on horses, dressed as cowboys, having a standoff in the street. But Flair tells them to stand united as they ride off into the sunset. Man, could you imagine like a low-budget western starring the Four Horsemen? Like a straight-to-video 90-minute? I'd God, watch it. It would be so good. It would be, so, be so bad and good. Just with the production of of a WCW cartoony promo like this is a little different because you know it's a promo for the show but it's not like the halloween havocs of like 91 or 92 or whatever or like the beach blast like explosion of the boat and whatnot but man just like trauma but without the violence or gratuity so we go to our seventh match team piper of chris benoit jeff jarrett Steve Mongo McMichael and Rowdy, Rowdy Piper. One of these men is not like the other. Versus Team NWO, Scott Hall, Macho Man Randy Savage, Kevin Nash and Hollywood Hulk Hogan with Dennis Rodman. Versus Team WCW of the Giant, Lex Luger and Scott Steiner in a triangle elimination match. And Michael Buffer makes our announcements. So let's get ready to let everyone know we haven't seen you since Starcade 96, episode 232. Wow. It's um, funny that they got Buffer for this. Like maybe they're like, well, we got Rodman. We'll bring Buffer in. It's like, okay. Rodman's not in the match, but okay. He also says this may change the history of professional wrestling while also explaining the rules. One member from each team begins the match and fights for five minutes. Then a participant from each team joins the match every two minutes afterwards. It's basically war games, but there's three teams and there's no cage. Yeah, single ring, blah, blah, blah. But But this is what I was about to make sure you uh, let us know because they talked about it throughout the show. Eliminations can occur at any time by pin, submission, knockout, or throwing someone over the top rope. Let it rumble. So basically, the final four match that we just watched in WWF. With the last team standing, obviously winning the match. And? There's also some stipulations. That's what I was looking for. (laughs) If Team NWO wins, they can get a title match at any time that they want. If WCW wins... How much do you hate that? That stinks. I mean, they already get a title match any time they want, really, so... I hate it, but continue. WCW wins. Everyone in the NWO is banned for three years, and they lose all their titles. 36 months. I was like, love it, but now you're just telegraphing like that they won't win, is, was, my, was my feeling. Yeah. 
Like if you'd said three years, if you'd said six months, yeah, three years is three crazy. months. Three Maybe months? if you'd said three months, yeah. and so they lose all their belts, three months, or just or just they lose all their belts. Yeah, three months they go on vacation, and you like maybe build a couple people up. Can't hurt. And if Team Piper wins, Roddy would get a cage match with Hogan. I mean, and that's what we all want. Yes, that's the that's the what everybody's pulling for. But also, you might be asking. Hey, wait a second. We just watched that Nitro, and there was only going to be two teams. How did Piper's team get in this mix? Well, Turner Sports President Harvey Schiller would appear, saying that the board of directors had had enough of Bischoff's antics, suspending him, allowing Schiller to reverse some of the decisions, rehiring Randy Anderson, I think a couple other people that had been yeah, fired. yeah, the whole the whole belt issue really, uh, the tag belt issue yeah. is like was like we've had a this is a it's bit this is a this is too much. Yeah. We gotta we gotta draw the line somewhere. But he also added Roddy Piper and a team of his choosing to the match. Now Roddy, like the storyline was like hot shotted, <laughs> hilarious actually. Okay, so Roddy held some tryouts which consisted of basically some random nobodies and a returning John Tenta, which is, if you noticed, if you watched, if you were on the network, he is on the graphic. Oh, I did not catch that. I must have my head down taking notes. And Piper would choose Tenta, a former boxer named Greg Molly, and a former kickboxer named Leighton Morrison. And pretty sure this was a. Those two guys are basically just actors, like stunt actors. Yeah, yeah. They weren't wrestlers at all. Yeah, they were probably like, you know, athletic looking, hmm. but not. Yeah. Not trained in the ring. Luckily, WCW figured out real quick that it wasn't going to work. Yeah, those two guys weren't going to be able to pull anything off. So the Horsemen then offered their services. With Roddy thinking that he was going to get Flair and Arn. But in reality... They're both hurt. They're hurt, so it's the other three. Yeah, which is like, Roddy has worked all over the place, but he was never around in like prime... Like, he, he was aware of prime Horseman era. We've gone through so many Horsemen at this point. The Horseman name isn't quite as strong as it once was. And he's got questions about these people. So the match gets going with Benoit, Hall, and the Giant as our first three. And the big man takes his time getting into the ring, allowing the other two to fight among themselves. With Scott hitting a fallaway slam, but the Crippler comes right back with a clothesline. And the Giant finally makes it inside the ring and double clotheslines both men down. Nails a double noggin knocker and chops. Completely dominating. Yeah, it's pretty pretty fun to see. Just shoving his opponents off any time they seem to slow the momentum. Hall would jump on his back with a sleeper, but the giant just reaches up to pull him over, followed by a choke slam on Benoit. Goes for the cover, only for Scott to break it up. Which doesn't make a whole lot of sense. No, I mean, it's like, yeah, I mean, but, yeah. I guess if he, I mean, I, I think if you want to reach, you could say that 
well, if Chris is in there, then it's not me versus the giant for the next minute and a half or two minutes or whatever. So you, that kind of takes a little bit of heat off of your back considering the giant is so large and he's coming in here uh, like it's a goddamn hot tag. Mm -hmm. But that's me creating logic. Exactly. That is not really a given in what most people... The, the logic you get from just watching wrestling over and over. The giant then locks on the claw before shoving Hall into a corner, charging in with a splash. But Scott moves, causing the big man to tumble over the top rope no. to be eliminated. Damn. So now, Team WCW only has three guys, and the biggest one is the first guy out. Big dumbass. <laughs> And five minutes is Damn up, it, Paul. and out comes Double J, Macho Man, and Lex to join the fray. With Jarrett hitting a swinging neckbreaker and a running straddle on Hall, followed by a dropkick to Savage. And Luger hits the ring and press slams Double J and Macho Man, while everybody else sprawls away for the next two minutes. With Mongo, Kevin, and Steiner now come to the ring, with Nash immediately nailing snake eyes on Jarrett. Followed by Steiner press slamming Benoit, a tilt-a-whirl slam on Double J, and a tiger bomb on Hall. I don't know if you guys know this, but Scott Steiner fucking rules. <laughs> Just coming, coming in here dropping fucking big boy moves back to back to back. Love to see it. Kevin attacks Steiner from behind, but he runs into a big boot in the corner. Allowing Steiner to deliver a belly-to-belly -belly suplex, followed by one to Savage as well. And Hall goes for the outsider's edge on Jarrett, but the crippler yanks him down to make the save, only for Nash to hit a big boot and a clothesline that sends Double J over the ropes to be eliminated. Dun, dun, dun. And Kevin then nails a side slam to Steiner when Michael goes for a pile driver on Hall, but it's countered into a back body drop, sending Mongo over the ropes to the floor to be eliminated as well. Damn. There go a couple of uh, horsemen. Another two minutes has ended, and out comes Roddy, as Steiner is worked over by the NWO, crotching him on a turnbuckle before Nash delivers a big boot to send Steiner crashing out to the floor Boo. to be eliminated as well. <laughs> and everybody's brawling away when Hollywood and Rodman, with a can of spray paint in hand, make their way out, as Piper takes Macho out to the floor to choke with a chain. And Hogan finally decides to join the match, choking Roddy with a t-shirt before tossing him through the ropes where Piper drags Hollywood out to the floor to brawl as the crowd chants, We want Sting! We want Sting! Hollywood tries to go into the crowd to escape Roddy's grasp when Savage comes to save him. And back inside the ring, Piper has Hogan in a headlock with Hollywood tossing him off into the ropes to escape, when Rodman would pull the top rope down, sending Roddy crashing out to the floor to be eliminated. Oh my god. This is when I, like, just got... All hope was lost in this moment. <laughs> and Piper looks to go after Dennis, but police are right there to prevent him from attacking Rodman, followed by Hogan and Macho coming out to beat on Roddy some more. Now in the ring, Hall nails the Outsider's edge on Benoit, followed by the Outsiders just throwing him over the ropes to be eliminated. 
Chris Benoit lasts in the longest. Leaving us with Lex Luger versus the NWO. Does it sound familiar to any other pay-per-view? It sounds so familiar that when it happened, I was like, all right. Nice. Uh, Cute callback, but where do we go from here? And Luger's being worked over until he begins delivering clotheslines to everyone. Getting Savage up in the torture rack for the submission and elimination. Love to see it. Lex then hits a clothesline on Nash to send him over the top rope to be eliminated. Love to see it. Followed by a torture rack on Hall to be submitted and eliminated. And the fact that Hall submitted makes everything so much sweeter. Now as Luger gets Hollywood up in the rack, Kevin grabs the ref, allowing Macho to run in, bashing Lex in the face with a spray paint can, causing them to collapse with Hogan on top for the pin and the win. Post-match, the NWO celebrates in the ring, spray-painting Luger and even allowing Rob Man to get a few slaps in before they begin to leave. All of a sudden, Sting repels down from the ceiling, landing in the ring, which brings the outsiders back in to confront him, only for him to use his baseball bat on them. Macho runs in and he gets a scorpion death drop, followed by giving Hall and Nash one as well. The stinger grabs his bat and points it at Hollywood, who pretends like he wants to fight, but doesn't enter the ring until the bat is dropped. And Sting grants his wish and even turns his back as Rodman rubs Hogan's shoulders to hype him up. Hollywood enters the ring and approaches the Stinger from behind, only for him to turn in time to punch Hogan, followed by a scorpion death drop, as Tony says his goodbyes and we're out of time as we go to credits. Hmm. So I ask you gentlemen, what are your overall thoughts of Uncensored 1997? Not the most painful Uncensored we've watched, but I don't know if anything truly felt like it meant anything. With the exception of Sting showing up, which the crowd wanted. It's a good send him home happy. Kind of intelligent considering that's going to be the memorable thing at the end of a mediocre show. I think that, I mean, justice for Piper. Come on. I mean, I know Piper is old, and like having Sting show up at the end kind of just, it's like putting a glossy finish on, I don't know that I'd call it a turd, but... Turd adjacent. Yeah, you're putting, yeah, you're putting <laughs> salt and pepper on a mediocre meal. Maybe a little bit of hot sauce. You don't need hot sauce if, if they made, if, you know, if the food is cooked correctly. Yeah, this show, I didn't care for that much i haven't really had that i don't know if there's been an uncensored that i've enjoyed yet but this one might be my least favorite of them so far because it just seemed like you said nothing nothing really mattered nothing really came about it was just there i think the thing that makes this pretty watchable is the things like psychosis and um 
Ultimate Ultimate Dragon, yeah. Eddie Guerrero, Dean Malenko, and I don't think it's any of these guys like best matches, but they're good matches. And even like Ray and Iakea, but like those are the things because like on Uncensored One, Uncensored Two, you're getting like Duggan matches on Uncensored, and they're even more gimmicky. They are, but these ones you. You have a point. They have those couple of matches, but, but this, they still don't feel very important. This show was where it started really standing out to me, and now you'll hear the the wrestlers themselves bitching about it down the line. That all they did during those matches was talk about the NWO or yeah. what's happening with Steiners or you know any of that. They didn't really care. They didn't. They, they didn't, didn't have the title right on one of the matches. Yeah, and it's like these guys That's are... That's how important those matches are to the people that are running the show. Yeah. I think They're, the guys are putting in good work, and it's like, well, if you kind of focused on them a little bit mm-hmm. more... It's different inside the ring, yeah, but like this is, most know, this, people are watching this... The last time home. you had... Was it Eddie and... Malenko? Eddie and Malenko in the ring, or was it Malenko and Benoit? But you know they got booed because the yeah. audience didn't know how to accept them or you know, was couldn't Eddie appreciate and them. Jericho. Was that who did it? Okay. Yeah, I think Jericho is Jericho. Like Benoit, Malenko, and Eddie are more over than Jericho at this point. Mm-hmm. Same with obviously Ray, but yeah. yeah, like those guys. Like Jericho's like on the lower, not necessarily like that he's a lesser wrestler, but he is not as ingratiated by the fans at this point. They haven't seen him as much, and he hasn't had as many pay per view matches and whatnot. I mean, his his last pay-per-view match that i remember was against masahiro chono and it was horrific which is wild that it was bad but it was nwo sold out i didn't even want to say it i brush my teeth now <laughs> so this show has some memorable moments and parts that i liked but it's a very weak showing overall for wcw but it is the best uncensored that we have watched i think so the but previous I, year, the main event was the Doomsday Cage match. Which one was that? The Triple, Triple Cage. Cage. Oh, that's right. They made no which sense. Was horrible, and it was a leather strap match between Hogan and Vader. Ugh. In the first year, and that's the one with the King of the Road match. That's right. Ah, uh, they I. Like overall, this, had, this is a better show had than better those wrestling two. on it. Maybe but it's yeah. because we had a better Halloween Havoc this year or last year, so like, <laughs> still not a great showing by them. Yeah, like the bar is very low when you can say that this show is better than other uncensored's, but there are some moments that are there because like WCW, the, this ending of Sting repelling from the ceiling. It gets over so well. That's how you get that. Literally, WCW just starts doing this like every week. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's the ending to every episode of Nitro. Every, I, I don't know if it's the every ending of every pay per view from now on, but I'm sure it's, it's probably close. pretty close. Up yeah, what until... stinks is like, I love that the Sting thing was hot. That's cool. I understand, but how much more? How much better would we have enjoyed it, and maybe like historically, it would have been better if Piper wins and we have a cage match later, or if Lex 
Lex wins and they go away for like three months or maybe they go there don't have matches but they get some heat by fucking around which i don't love but maybe it makes them you know make maybe people start booing them because people are still wearing the shirts but they're not necessarily in love with the nwo either like people don't know what they fucking want or like it feels like i mean they're cool heels yeah i I'd say I hate a cool heel, but that's not true. I just hate these ones. I enjoy a cool heel, but these, <laughs> yeah, I mean, these I guys do wore their, their cool heel down fast. Yeah, I was a big, yeah. I mean, like, I do love a, a cool heel. I love Ric Flair. Even recently, I was a big fan of Jay White pre-pandemic in uh, New Japan. I was a big fan of uh, MJF's, like, heel run in AEW before he's... In everything, yeah. Matt's Matt's rocking the 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 Jay White shirt right now. Got two words for you: guns up, guns up, brother. I was like, switchblade is one word, isn't it? Uh, yeah, <laughs> he's doing the bang bang gang thing at the moment, but you know, he's still a, he is the switchblade. But uh, yeah, <sighs> yeah. I'm. Is this show a gentleman's? I'm not pop, a fan. A gentleman's six out of ten, or is it a like even five? Is it a four point five? It's, it's in those. A, it's it's in, probably a five. It's in that range. Yeah, like it's not the most offensive thing. I didn't have a hard time watching it, but none of us gloated over anything no. here. Mm-mm. There, there are no short lists on this show. There could actually be. if. The ending of the first match mm-hmm. isn't. The NWO ruined it. Isn't ruined. six? Yeah, that match was headed towards. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it. Yeah, towards it. and Absolutely. that's I that was the it. real shining moment of this is what all those guys bitched about all those years because this is an awesome match and they just pissed all over it so they could talk about the NWO and the Steiners. And the thing is, like, if one of those two guys won, it means something. And if when there's when somebody gets in the way and somebody wins because of nefarious means, it doesn't mean as much, especially when it is your like mid card or juniors. Like guys need a guys need like legitimate sports based wins mm-hmm. when they're doing matches that are that athletic. You don't need that in a Hogan Piper match. Good. Where, where's the smart marks at? All right. Fuck you. I think it's time we smark it up. So, what are some of the best moments of this show? <sighs> that first match until six, because like like we all agree, it was it was actually a fun match. I mean, that's what we want to see. <laughs> yeah. Like generally, all the time. Yeah. Yes. Uh, I will say that it was nice to see a is a guy who. Doesn't know the technical ins and outs of wrestling. It was nice to see a noticeable difference and level up of Prince Ikea in ring. It's like, oh, the last match we saw him in was good, but he's gotten obviously better. He's in there with a great opponent, but they've pretty much kept him with great opponents and different kinds of opponents. And I think it's caused him to... Get get better quicker. You also put a belt on a guy, a young guy. Like he's he's not phoning it in. He's not ready for that belt or any belt, but he's not phoning it in. And 
if he had a little bit of a personality or another six months is in ring, maybe uh, people will be behind him having the belt. DDP snap into this bang. Yeah, I enjoyed yeah. that line. I mean, the whole the, the angle, the, the best, the best promos on this show is the Macho Man DDP stuff. Like the the team. Well, I guess Piper's was Piper's good. was pretty good, but it's but like Roddy both, Piper. Both, He's like yeah. above everybody. But both all the NWO, time when it comes to that. like all of it right now. The disappointment is the NWO and WCW promos were just like Garage. okay, cool. Yeah, but back to best moments. The editing on the car crash. I mean, yeah, give me a break. I don't know who directed that or, or who cut that or edited Sean Walton. That. What are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> it was just done so well. I was like truly taken aback at how like, <clears throat> like, yeah, how how good it was because we don't normally get that with those kind of like st- staged vignettes. And then the they fucking flipped the car. Yeah, that couldn't have been cheap. The stunt man is did they put a fucking brick on the fucking gas pedal and tie it off? But it was just edited so well. It was smooth. Dusty during the Texas Tornado match. Uh, yeah. I mean, it was the only thing that made that match tolerable. Yeah. I said that long ago, but I and I do think it was a better WCW garbage match than we've seen in a while. But at the same time, I mean, how many garbage matches have we watched? A lot because we watch ECW. Exactly, and I think this one, you know, was better than a lot of the ECW ones we watched because it's got some. It's confined to being a Ted Turner product. There's things they can't do, yeah. so they are forced to do some things that are like more creative or more rooted in like traditional wrestling. Not necessarily moves, but you know psychology. How about most disappointing? I mean, like I mentioned the the two team promos from WCW and yeah. NWO. I mean, for me, especially was, the NWO yeah. one was just completely just weird and like. None of those guys were on top of their game on that yeah. and during that. For me, it was that I had my hopes up that that uh, NWO wouldn't win tonight, and I should have known better. But I think that the main event did a good job of sowing those seeds of doubt. And literally, the, if they don't do thirty-six months. Yeah, like just take the belts away from them. If they didn't do thirty-six months, I would have like been even. Higher on like when Lex starts taking guys out, I'm fucking pumped. And then I remember 36 months, and I'm like shit. And then of course before that, Piper gets thrown out. For best case scenario, is Piper wins, we get Piper yeah. and Hogan in a cage. But and I knew 36 months wasn't a thing, but I was legitimately jazzed up when Lex started taking everyone out, and it made him look big and strong and awesome. I'm gonna give you a spoiler for uh, the next pay per view. Small spoiler, but the uh, the title shot that they use that they use with this win is Macho Man versus Prince Iakea. I mean, I guess that but is DDP one belt. In, uh, interferes, and so they don't win the belt. I was gonna say that is one belt they don't have. So yeah, but it, but then it sets <laughs> up DDP. Like, but it sets up DDP and really, Macho Man yeah, further. Yeah. But it, still. It, it, it furthers dirt, but like, really? That's that. I'm like, obviously, Savage is like Savage isn't going to challenge for the heavyweight belt, or but I mean, he could have done the the United States belt versus Malenko, but they're in this whole 
thing. Yeah. IK doesn't have anybody really. So it's easy to do that, but it's just like I really feel like Savage could just walk to the ring and go, I want Prince IK and he could have the match without this stipulation. Yeah. Of they can demand this title. Yeah, Macho Man couldn't challenge for that belt any day of the week because he's the Macho Man Randy Savage. Yeah. So that's a little bit of a disappointing outcome of yeah of this match as well. Yeah, so also Macho Man can just get two wins over the course of two weeks, and it makes him eligible for that. Yeah, he can beat Mortis go, go, and go, go, go hang out on WCW Saturday night for a couple weeks, and <laughs> we need some matches. And you're like, okay, yeah, yeah, cool. We'll, we'll put him in a package. You, we'll yeah. give you a title shot. Yeah, you'll uh, yeah you'll drop an elbow on Mortis, and then uh, you know challenge Prince Iakea. Too many gimmick matches. I wish it's uncensored. I know it's yeah. uncensored, but there doesn't have to be a title for every match. Nobody wants a martial arts match. But that's no, definitely no one it's, wants it's the nature of it's the nature of the beast. The beast once you're that is when we get to extreme rules. Yeah. Oh yeah. Trust me, I bitch about that one. Well, I guess I don't really have it as much anymore. But I mean, yeah, I'm a uh, too many. Too many stipulation and gimmick matches mm. in wrestling. Now, how about best? Today. How about best performer of the night? Ooh, I think it's Guerrero because he starts to heal it up. Starts a bit. to show his lying, cheat, stealing. Yeah, ways. I, I, uh, I mean, that was he was the one person that like evolved on the show in any way at all. Yeah, outside of like Prince Ik, just like getting better from wrestling more and wrestling quality wrestlers. Yeah. But, like, as far as, like, character development... Yeah, like, you wrestle in Rey Mysterio and Lord Steven Regal every yeah. week. You're gonna get better. You're gonna get better. Yeah, and two completely different styles, like, and... But the the only, like, true, like, character growth from anybody on this show is Eddie Guerrero, right? Yeah, I think so. Everyone else kind of stays in the same place. Like, Sting, it's not character growth. People are just excited to see him because they want to see the thing that you keep in the shadows. But he put hands on people this time. Yeah, Um, he did. I mean, last time we saw him, he was getting hugged and standing with the NWO. Yeah, and now he's pointing bats at him and fucking decking Hogan. Yep. How about most surprising... Piper getting out too early in that match was a bummer. Everybody feels like I talked about how by the second, the end of the second match, we were forty-seven minutes into this show, and the main event just went so fast. People were just getting fucking yeeted out of the ring left and right. Sometimes that's a good thing when you have a match like this that could have been like thirty minutes, which would have been brutal. Yeah, but it's felt a little too quick. Which maybe I'll regret saying in the future if we see another match like this that goes too long. But here, it's like, we got, like, stars here. And Luger looked great until you took a big dump on him. But it's glad they were gracious enough to let him wipe out the majority of the NWO for a second. It makes him look strong, but whoever looks strong against Hogan, the caveat there being... Sting, four minutes later, on the end of the show. The fact that Elizabeth was a part of that centerfold scandal thing, but the joy that she had on her face 
oh, yeah. while she was doing it in kind of the sense of, it's not me this time. Suck it, bitch. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that is a good point because she's been so kind of like dead-eyed and just here uh-huh. since she's come back and nothing for her to do. And then her there with like Randy being like legitimately like the Harley Quinn to his like fucking Joker. Yep. She was that like was, she was having I mean I with. guess that's the other like actual character growth on this show is Elizabeth with any emotion at all and like she was really good at doing like the slight facials in the um mega powers a decade ago but like she showed a little bit of something while yeah. she was you know in side by side with women for that little bit where it was like they were having yeah. boy talk but yeah this was the first I've seen in a long time with Elizabeth where she looked like she was actually engaging, having fun. Yeah, just engaging in the actual storyline in a real way. Dean Malenko has been a cruiserweight champion, and now he's a United States champion. Just kind of surprising that WCW had enough faith in him. I mean, which I think is completely warranted. Yeah, but like for a guy that isn't isn't doesn't have the like the energy or charisma of a DDP or yeah. even a Chris Benoit or Eddie Guerrero. He's the he's champion's he, champion. He's a stone cold killer, you know, no pun intended. But yeah, it's like but they were that they were willing to put the belt on him like the second belt in this company. Yeah. on a guy that is just nor- a- normally in both of these in both WCW and in WWF like once you're in, like the juniors, the light heavyweight, the cruiserweight division, that's you stay it. There. That's yeah. it. You you don't go anywhere else. Yeah, and yeah, and here he's like, it's like he's a wrestler's wrestler, yeah. a um, a old school wrestling fans like he's a he's a like Jim Crockett, Bill Watts like generational talent, but of smaller stature and uh he's in this company that is sending guys with face paint coming down from the ceiling holding baseball bats and your secondary you know your the belt under the big belt is on Dean Malenko I didn't even put it together because the belts that those belts out don't seem no belt seems that important on in WCW at the moment outside of the big one and it's hard to care about it because you kind of feel like it's going to stay in one place Mm mm-hmm so maybe that's why it's just because they don't give a shit. I mean, it's probably a lot of it. But I mean, as, I mean, there's as no, people who there's, care about there's Dean no Malenko, NW, there's no NWO stuff going on in this storyline other than six. Yeah. So you know, but I think the six thing is more with Dean and Eddie than it is the belt. Yeah, for sure. It's more uh, more personal than it is about the prize. And now for a look back even further into the history of wrestling. The Dusty Finish. Tito Santana had won the Eastern Championship Wrestling Heavyweight title from Don Morocco a month prior and was scheduled to be in Roanoke, Virginia on September 9th, 1993 versus Shane Douglas. But Tito no-showed the event, forcing President Todd Gordon to declare Shane the new champion. Shane Douglas, born 1964, in New Brighton, Pennsylvania, as one of six children to a veteran of World War II. 
After college, he would train under Dominic DiNucci, alongside Mick Foley in the mid-80s, working various WWF tapings before becoming a champion in the Universal Wrestling Federation in 1987. By the next year, Shane had signed with WCW, becoming a dynamic dude with John Laronitis, feuding with the Midnight Express until 1990, when both members of the tag team left the company. Douglas would debut in WWF later in the year as Marty Jannetty's partner, while Shawn Michaels was out injured. His biggest performance came in the 1991 Royal Rumble, lasting almost 30 minutes. Shane Douglas would return to WCW in late 92, teaming with Ricky Steamboat to win the NWA and WCW World Tag Team Championships, feuding with the Hollywood Blondes, until his departure to Eastern Championship Wrestling, making his debut on August 24th, 1993. For his accomplishments, Shane has been inducted into the Hardcore Hall of Fame. Douglas would defend the title versus all contenders, when a homicidal maniac would challenge very soon. Next week, WrestleMania 13. Mania time, y'all. I mean, come on. I get excited for every single one of them. Oh, there will be blood. You only get one a year. There will be blood. They're not all great. There will be blood. But there's always at least one good match. There will be blood. <laughs> <laughs> Music from this week's show is Mr. Maniac by Ross Hardy and Brian White. And Hogan stood tall at the end, so we play Rock House by FCD Music. If you like this episode or any of our other ones, please rate and review us on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, or wherever you find your podcasts at. Do as Michael says. Five stars or no stars. If you have any questions, comments, concerns... Where are we headed to next? Rosemont, Illinois. Ooh, that's not Philly. That's Chicago. Yeah. Right outside Chicago. Well, hey, tell me some stuff to eat in Chicago. You should uh, hit us up, slide into our DMs, send us an email, something. And, you know, we're always looking for Philly stuff. We're lucked out this week, lucked out next week, but who knows? Philly's going to pop up sometime yeah, for soon. All, for all we know, the next three shows will be... It's evil on us. But yeah, hit us up on the old X. So if you have any of those things, you can hit us up on our email at wrestlinghistoryx at gmail.com or find us on X at wrestlinghistox. That's wrestling H I S T O X. We'll talk to you next week. Laters. Fuck you, Terry.